Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for today is taken from the 61st chapter of the prophet Isaiah. And it is extremely important for Christians. How come? Because this is the scripture that Jesus himself chose when he stood up in his hometown synagogue and for the first time preached to the people there. He chose this text from Isaiah because he felt it summed up what his life and ministry were about. This is extraordinarily holy ground. Jesus' first sermon is on this text. So we look at it very carefully. We listen to it very prayerfully. Here's what it says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That's what Jesus would have probably sung in his time when you got up to read the Scripture. He didn't read it so much. You would cantillate it. You would sing it. The first words he sang were, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Ruach Yahweh, the Spirit of Yahweh. Ruach, it's a powerful word throughout the Old Testament. Wind, breath, air. In Genesis it says, The Spirit of the Lord, the Ruach of the Lord, hovered over the surface of the waters. And through that Spirit, God creates, He brings things into being. Jesus now claiming this identity as His own says, I am the one in whom the creative power of God is operating. Now, we saw that a few weeks ago. Jesus as the creator, the one in the beginning. He's the new beginning. Same idea here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Do you remember after the resurrection in John's Gospel, Jesus does something mysterious? He breathes on his disciples. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's powerful, isn't it? The Spirit of the Lord is on him. Yes, he's the incarnation of God's very life and being. The Spirit of the Lord is in him. But now, in giving rise to the church, Jesus imbues us with his Spirit. We too now in the world become a principle of recreation. We have the Ruach Yahweh in us too. Now, animated animated by this Spirit, what does Jesus do? Listen. He has sent me to bring glad tidings to the lowly. Last week I spoke to you about euangelion, glad tidings. God's spell, gospel. There it is again. The Messiah has been sent to bring these glad tidings 
to the lowly. What a friend Jesus was to the lowly, wasn't he? The poor, the sick, the marginalized, the oppressed. All those who in different ways were under the heel of oppressive powers. He's come to bring them good news. Good news of a kind of military victory. The display of a greater power. Jesus put to death by the greatest power in the world, the Roman authority. They threw all their weight and power and terror at him. And then, in the resurrection, God revealed a greater power. God's power is able to swallow up and to conquer, listen, even the greatest power in the world. That's what the Paschal Mystery means. They threw all they had at Jesus. He was able to swallow it up in his forgiveness. And in the resurrection, God displayed his greater power. That's the good news the Messiah announces to the lowly. 1963 in our country, there was a Baptist minister named Martin Luther King who had these texts in his blood and his bones. He had this Christian faith. What did he do? He told his own people, black America, he told his own people who were lowly, who were oppressed in different ways, who were marginalized. He said, there is a justice which is greater than any of the injustice around you. There's a sacred power that is greater than any of the political and economic and cultural powers that surround you and oppress you. And if you get on its side, you'll be on the winning side. What he preached was a spiritual message. That's Jesus' task here, to bring good tidings to the lowly. John Paul, too, did the same thing in Poland, didn't he? He spoke to his people, who were lowly as well, economically, politically, culturally oppressed. And he said the same thing. There is a power greater than any of the powers that oppose you and oppress you. And if you side with it, the power of the God of Jesus Christ, you will be on the winning side. That's the same idea. Jesus comes now with that message for us. What else has he come to do? It says, to heal the brokenhearted. I spoke to you a few weeks ago about the heart, the core, the center of your being. The Bible speaks of the hardening of the heart. That means you don't let grace into it, don't let God into it. But here we have a different image. The brokenhearted. When God is not the Lord of your heart, your heart becomes shattered, broken, divided. When God is not the single organizing principle of your life, your heart tends to be divided, running first in that direction, then in that direction. Following this impulse, then that impulse. Listening to this teacher, then that teacher. Following this 
ephemeral good and then that ephemeral good. Your heart is splintered and shattered. It's broken. What's Jesus come to do? He's the healer, isn't he? In Greek, he's called soter. When they translated that word into Latin, it became salvator, savior, healer. He heals the brokenhearted. How? By coming to live in our hearts and thereby to give them a unified purpose and focus. There's the ministry of the church in many ways. Over these 2,000 years, up to this present day, the ministry of the church is to heal the brokenhearted. We live in a brokenhearted world. People are splintered, shattered, divided. When we announce Jesus Christ and we invite Christ to live in us, He heals, He mends these divided hearts of ours. There's the second great task of the Messiah. And the last one. He says, I've come to proclaim liberty to captives and release to prisoners to announce a year of favor from the Lord. Freedom. Christ has come to set us free. Captivity. They worried about captivity a great deal in Jesus' time. First of all, because his own people were a captive people. They didn't have political freedom. They didn't have cultural, economic freedom. They were a colonized people. More to it, there were roves of kidnappers and bandits in Jesus' time that would frequently take travelers. They would capture them and they'd hold them for ransom. Anyone traveling on the high seas in Jesus' time was very aware of the existence of pirates who would waylay them and hold them captive. This was a very lively possibility. And it was terrible. Something to have your freedom curtailed, taken away from home and loved ones, held indefinitely for ransom. Terrible. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Now, transfer the feeling of worldly captivity into the spiritual dimension. That's what it feels like to be a sinner. To be held captive to an alien power. I know I've quoted to you before from Paul's great letter to the Romans, chapter 7. The good that I would do, that's what I don't do. The evil that I would avoid, that's what I do. There's a war going on within me. Paul says, I'm held captive to sin. That's how it works. And all of us sinners know it. We know what that feels like. I know how I should be living, but I can't muster the will or the energy to do it. I know what God wants, but I just can't get myself to follow God's will. It's as though sin has me in its grip. It's as though sin is holding me for ransom. Pride, envy, anger, sloth, avarice, gluttony, lust, any and all of the deadly sins. 
They're like addictions that have us in their grip. I have come to proclaim liberty to captives, release to prisoners. That's why he's come. Free us. Free us from these sinful obsessions. How does he do it? He does it by giving us a mission. The Bible is all about mission. Jesus is all about mission. He takes us through the power of his resurrection. And he moves us out of our petty obsession with ourselves. Out of our petty self-regarding captivity. And he sends us. I've got a task for you to carry the good news of my resurrection to the whole world. I've got a mission for you to carry my love to those around you. I've got a mission for you that you liberate others as I've liberated you. You heal broken hearts the way I healed your broken heart. Filled up with that sense of mission, then we know what to do. We know where to go. and We can leave behind these self-absorbed obsessions. Just as I close, there's a wonderful gospel for today describing John the Baptist. With what clarity he lays out who he is. Who are you, they ask him. Are you the Messiah? No, not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Well, then who are you? I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I've got a mission from Jesus Christ. I've got a mission to announce Jesus Christ. That's how we're liberated from our captivity. When, like John, we know who we are because we've been grasped by Christ's purpose and mission. Meditate on this Isaiah 61. It gives you a clear sense of who Jesus is and how he liberates us. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.